John 6, beginning 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Now this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Well, if you're hungry, we're going to talk about a lot of food this morning. And so, oh, who's whining? It's got to be children. Oh, it's, yeah, children, yeah. Grow up. I've got a baby bottle for all you whiners right here, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. Lots of discussion on eating bread, food, flesh, blood, drinking. Let me just kind of, from 48 to 59... Jesus uses the word eat four times, feeds four times, drink four times, flesh six times. That one's really significant. Blood four times, and he will speak of bread five times. And so with this repeated emphasis, it is important for us to understand what he is communicating today. Now these words are going to sound like, why so much repetitive stuff Jesus what what are you about can you just like make a sentence move on to the next one well I said it last week but let me just remind us this morning if you're a parent you know this to be true when your kids are younger and unfortunately sometimes when they're older you tell them to do something over and over and over again even though you've stressed it even though it costs them something to do something they go back to it so this repetitive nature is here because we need to understand something. And the repetitive nature here as well is I think that we forget sometimes the heart of the gospel. And that's what Jesus is sharing in this part of John chapter 6. So they're stuck on physical food. They experienced physical food from Jesus the day before. They've woken up. They've found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They are wanting breakfast. Supper the day before was great. Could you get us breakfast? But Jesus is going to be talking about spiritual food that he wants to give them. And so for us, just as we need to eat daily and weekly, we spiritually need to do so as well. And if we gorge ourselves on reality shows, social media, whatever the case may be, getting caught up in the things of the world and and consuming those things, and just getting an email in our inbox 
that we quickly read and it's done in a few minutes, we will eventually over time find ourselves starving spiritually because we need far more than those things. And we will find that our, our relationship with Christ will be pretty sluggish. And so I brought a table or set up a table this morning. And I want to I begin just by illustrating something because we're going to talk about all of this eating. So I've got some, some good bread that's here. If I could, I would have had a really good steak that was here, but I just was not going to have time to cook that this morning. But I want you to pretend like we've got steak, baked potato, we've got whatever you like with your steak, hearty, hearty meat, okay? So that's one option for us in our lives. The other option is this is what we live by. Now, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, like a newborn baby, crave the pure spiritual milk. And so that point, Peter's talking about in the point there, is a baby's like, man, I'm hungry. I'm letting everybody know that I'm hungry, and I'm going to cry out, give me milk. And so, so he's talking about there that there should be a craving that is consistent. But when the writer of Hebrews talks about eating and drinking, and, it talks about, and he talks about milk, he speaks about it in a whole other way. And I want you to hear the heart of this church. Every day of our lives, we are invited to a table. It's a unique table. Christ invites us to come and partake of him as the eternal bread of life. And we will eat the depth of his nature, the greatness of who he is, and the glory of who he is. Or we will spend our days doing this. And that's hard work. It's been many years since I've done this. And that's silly. Just think about this for a moment. Salt grass. Anybody like salt grass? Salt grass is pretty good stuff. Let's say you went to salt grass today, and you go in, and the server comes to your table, and the drinks have already been served, and they come, and it's time for meal order time. And they come to you and you say, what do you want? Well, I just want a glass of milk. Uh, do you not want anything else? This is salt grass. No. Can I just have a glass of milk? And the whole restaurant is the smells and the sustenance of what you can get at salt grass. And you're drinking milk. Now listen, church. I just want to bring this down to a real personal level because I think it's really, really critical. I think many people live on the bottle in the church, and they live that way for many, many years of their life. And you'll never know the greatness of His glory and the joy of what it means to walk with Him unless you learn to eat meat. Now, let me just read this passage. This is Hebrews five twelve and following. So these are people who've been believers for a while. The writer of Hebrews writes to them and says, For though by this time you've been in the faith long enough, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be able to communicate things of the faith. But now, here's where the reality, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So he tells them, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, listen to this phrase, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What are they unskilled in? Of understanding the scripture. How to apply the scripture. How to walk in the scripture. How to discern the times. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Why? 
because they're a kid, they're a baby, can't chew, not enough teeth that are there. But then he writes this, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, who've learned to to recognize what's right and what's wrong, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me just make sure we get this. So if you have a milk diet spiritually, you will be someone who is in your faith unskilled in the word of righteousness. You're not going to understand good doctrine. You're not going to understand hear things when it's not right or you're not going to understand how do I apply the scripture in this situation. So you will be unskilled in the word of righteousness and we will remain children and we will remain immature. But if solid food is what we long for, then we will have powers of discernment where we are trained by obedience, because that's what he says, trained by righteousness. You, you learn the power of the Word of God by walking in the Word of God, not just by knowing a bunch of facts. And so, trained by obedience to know what is good and what is, e- is evil, and we will be skilled in the Word of righteousness. And so today, here's the picture. Will we, if this is us, it's okay if you're here. If you're new in the faith, this is natural. But let's just be honest. If we've been walking with the Lord for a long time, it should be to a place now where salt grass, outback, I don't know, I don't know, wherever, wherever it is you go and eat hearty stuff and you like it. That should be our consistent practice that we want to we just eat of the nature of the glory of God and experience that great reality of who he is. And so we're going to talk about those things today. And so let's look in 48 and 49. Let's look at the first thing this morning. So Jesus writes, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Two things I want us to see here before we move forward. So Jesus just straightforward says, listen, I've been telling you, he's been telling us this. He says, I am the bread of life. There's not anything else that we're waiting on. We're not, there's not anything baking in the oven. I am it. I am here. I have come and I am literally the bread of life. This is the third time in John 6 that he said this. Look at, look at verse 32. So Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is he, it's not, a, not, a, not an it, but is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And now in 648, he says, I am the bread of life. And so he's wanting us to get it. He's wanting them to get it. That Jesus is the one who nourishes us and gives us the greatest kind of life. Jesus also taught us this. In one of his most difficult days, he's in the desert. He's been fasting for 40 days. Satan comes and tempts him to turn some stones into bread. And, he, and Jesus says these words, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus teaches us, Here that we live by, we are trained in righteousness by trusting and believing and walking in the word of God. And so here Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to me. 
I'm calling you to me. I am the bread of life. And every one of us in the room this morning, we are feeding our soul every day of the week. Every day we're feeding our soul. We are doing something to feed our soul, and let's make sure we're feeding it right. And then Jesus says this secondly. He says in 49, Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. And I just want to make this statement. The bread of the world is going to eventually lead to death. It just does. We can eat and eat. On the day that we die, we are probably going to eat, and it's not going to keep us alive because there is a bread that comes from heaven, and there's a bread that comes from the oven, and it's the bread of heaven that gives us the hope of eternal life. And so the text speaks here, Jesus talking about the Old Testament, that they would wake up in the morning in Exodus chapter 16, and the glory of the Lord would have come during the night, and there would be manna on the ground. They would, they would come outside of their tent, and God had rained down this bread that was there, and they were able to gather bread for the day. So six days a week they did that. On one day they gathered, gathered a double portion. And so, so every day they saw, the watch, they saw the glory of the Lord in the manna on the ground, and yet everyone who ate, The manna that came from the glory of the Lord, they all ended up dying. And so Jesus is contrasting this, and he wants us to see this. The bread of the earth, the sustenance of the earth, you need these things, but they are not what life is about. I am what life is about. I am the bread of life. And so so he says, take an example from your forefathers. For 40 years in the wilderness, God gave them bread, and they all ate of it, and every one of them died. The, the manna didn't fix their spiritual nature. It didn't resurrect them and raise them to life. It fed them and took care of them. There is a greater bread that can give you an essence of life that is incredible and is beyond what you and I can ever really fully grasp and understand. But I want to talk about, just for a moment, before we move to point two, what are we going to do about the feeding of our soul in this world there's lots of bread and it's offered to us to consume every day and I was I wrote some things down this week of what do we consume on a consistent basis so let me just throw some out we live in the information age in case you're behind times and we just consume all day long information just at our fingertips it's just there we eat it it's we do it with about life stuff, about health stuff, about education, um, uh, political things. We, we just are constantly just devouring information. We also, in today's time, we are just, as, as the election gets closer, we are just consuming lots of thoughts about, okay, what, what's coming in the days ahead. And we're reading, we're reading, we're consuming, we're consuming. Also, there are people who are experts on COVID-19, all things COVID-19, just consuming, 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 and we're eating that, that bread that's there. Sports, people just consume and eat and, and can tell you about the statistics on this and that and this person and what is going on. There's also those that just consume and eat the bread of a career, sometimes at the expense of family. Sometimes we just eat the bread of life that is connected to a hobby and just get consumed in the hobby and forget about things. Um, some of us have been there as well. Our kids sometimes, we're just, we just consume. Our life is consumed with eating the things connected, you know, with our kids and all the things that are there. 
we are also just consumers by nature, and consumers, what do they do? They consume. We buy, we buy, we buy, we buy. Now watch. If the manna that came from the glory of God for 40 years did not lead to eternal salvation to the people in the wilderness, why do we think in the year 2020, all of the breads that this world has to offer, why do we think that they're going to somehow now feed us and bring us to a place of genuinely knowing what true life is? And I just want to remind us this morning because I love you and because I want myself to hear it as well. This world offers nothing lasting. Nothing. Nothing. Everything's going to burn. Everything's going to be gone. And there's one thing that's going to last forever. And so Jesus, in point two this morning, is going to do that. He's, gonna, he's telling the people, your fathers ate this glorious gift of the Father in the wilderness, and they didn't, it didn't sustain them and grant them eternal life. And so there's another bread that you've got, to, you've got to consume, and it's got to be a part of your life. So let's talk about the bread of heaven that leads to life. So look at 50 and 51. So this is the bread. Again, you're going to notice just repetitive nature of the Jesus here. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So there's a bread that leads eventually to a death, but then there's a bread that comes that if you eat of it, you don't die. In 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's talk about this, these two verses, four really significant things here. First one is just, and we've, we've talked about this in these weeks, and so I won't spend as much time on it. He is the bread that has come down from heaven. He is the bread that has come down from heaven. Let me, let me just remind you and I of this incredible reality this morning. Every religion in the world today, every religion in the world today, and the gods that they claim, they stay distant. They stay away. But if you want to talk about the Greek and Roman gods, when they, they're not real gods, but when they came, what did they do? They used people for their own selfish pleasure. Our faith, our faith, this relationship, Christianity, is the only one in the history of the world, and it will be the only one, because our God is the living God. He came here. He came here to be near people. And so Jesus is wanting them to know, I am eternal. I didn't have my beginning in Bethlehem. It wasn't Nazareth. I am eternal. I am the bread that has come from heaven. I am eternal in nature. And so you've got to eat of me. And if you will eat of me, you will not remain spiritually dead. But you will, by believing in me, you will come to life. So the first thing about this bread of heaven that leads to life, it is come down from heaven to be near us. Only he can do this. If we eat of this bread, we will not die spiritually. So this bread, this manna in the Old Testament was near them. They would wake up 
open up their tent. It was laying on the ground, but that's all that that manna could do was lay on the ground. This manna, Jesus, the bread that's come from heaven, this manna could talk. This manna could speak to the dead and raise them to life. This manna could touch the blind could touch lepers. He could speak to people who couldn't walk, and they would walk. He taught in such a way, this man did, that people marveled at the glory of God, and, that, and they said nobody ever spoke like this. And so this manna, different. This was active manna that just didn't lay around. But here's Jesus walking around doing these un- unbelievable things. He is such a unique bread, different than anything. Have you eaten of this bread? Have you come to know this bread and taken it in your life and let it become your life? Are you and I eating it right now as I am proclaiming the truth? We should be chewing on these words right now in this room spiritually. Chewing on this reality that we have hope in He who has come down from heaven. He is life. He is life. He is life. He is is life. In Him there is no darkness. In Him there is no shadow. In Him there is everything to do with life. And the food we eat, right, becomes a part of us. Sometimes it becomes too much a part of us. And we got to work on that. Listen, you can never overeat Jesus, ever. Can you overeat Jesus? And we can We can just take him in in such an incredible way. And so he tells the people here, listen, there's a bread of heaven that leads to life. It's come down from heaven. If you eat of it, you will not die. And then he says these words. He says, and this bread is living bread. And he says, I am living bread. I'm not dead bread. I don't mold. I don't get stale. I opened this bread this morning, and it's already just out in the air. It's getting a little hard right here. So nobody's going to want to come eat this because I've rubbed my hands all over it. Listen, he never gets crispy. He never fades. He never gets hard. He is the eternal bread that's come down from heaven to give his life for people and to invite us into a relationship. And so look what Jesus says. He says that if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now my wife is 12 inches shorter than me and weighs a lot less than I do. And I can't go to my wife and say, hey, Pam, I want you to eat for me this week. I want you to eat for me. I know you got to eat for you, but I want you to eat for me too. And that will, that will sustain me this week as you eat chicken, turkey, vegetables. I want you to eat for me. Silly. It's sad when it happens spiritually. Students, kids, you can't eat on your parents' faith. You've got to eat your, your own faith. You've got to learn to eat. Because if you don't, you will spend the rest of your life sucking on a bottle. And so it's, it's not enough for us to go, well, my parents faith and so I'm just because my parents are believers therefore I'm a believer no you have to believe kids students you have to believe 
You can't ride the coattails of your parents. You can't ride the coattails of elders. You can't ride the coattails of a pastor, whatever the case may be. We can't do that. And so Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. If you'll eat of this bread, you will live forever. But you can't, you can't rely on somebody else's eating. We have to eat. We have to take Jesus in ourselves. It has to be something that we do. Now, now watch the last thing that he says here before we move to point three. Look at last, second part of 51. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my what? What does he say? Say it out loud. Flesh, my body. What is he talking about? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Dying on the cross. Thank you, Caleb. All these other adults, I don't know what they're doing in the room this morning. (laughs) Listen. He is telling the people in the synagogue at Capernaum, I am the bread that's come down from heaven, and I'm going to give my flesh for the world. In other words, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to die. I've come to be the one who's going to lay his life down for the world. John 10, 17, listen to these words. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. In the analogy of the bread, see this bread here? You know how this bread got here? Because somewhere in America in a field, a farmer riding in a tractor, cut down wheat. It died. And it was taken somewhere, and you know what they did with the wheat? They crushed the wheat. So the wheat was cut, the wheat was crushed, and then it was made into something, and it was put in the fiery oven, and what happened is bread came out. And so watch this. Death, even in the midst of bread, death pictures Jesus, and so he uses this phrase in Jesus later in John twelve twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it just remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so for bread to be made, a grain of wheat had to die as a grain is plucked, it's crushed, and it's made into flour, and it's baked into bread. And just like that grain of wheat, Jesus was crushed. And he died. And so we must take him in to our life. And in return, as we do that, we receive eternal life. Arthur Pink wrote something very interesting about this verse here. He said in this text that this eating looks back to Adam and Eve. He said, as they're eating the forbidden fruit, plunge the human race into sin and judgment. Now, eating Christ, the tree of life, liberates us from the curse that came on us. In Adam's fall. And so Jesus here says, listen, there's a bread that's going to lead to life. There's a bread that you'll eat that you're going to continue to die. Or there's a bread that's going to lead to life. And I am that living bread. I'm living bread. And this this life that you're going to have is going to come because I'm going to lay my life down. And I'm going to die for you. two, Two verses and we'll move on. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed. Galatians 1, 4, 
He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. So firstly this morning we saw that there was eating manna was still going to lead to death, but there was a bread that could come that would lead to eternal life. And thirdly this morning is they've got a new issue. Yes, the issue just a few hours earlier, if you remember, was what did we talk about last week? They're like, Okay, who are you making all these claims? Aren't you Mary and Joseph's son? Don't, don't you have brothers and sisters? We know where you came from. We know what your job was. And they saw Jesus as just common. Now they have a new issue in the synagogue, and they're just stuck thinking spiritually or physically about Jesus and not thinking spiritually about him. So look at, look at 52. Here's this issue of never thinking spiritually. So the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat. And so now they're arguing over Christ's words because they just can't seem to stop thinking in a physical way about him. And so Jesus has already said in verse 35, he has already said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he's already told them what all this means, but they just aren't getting it. We know this, that Jesus was very patient with those who knew they were sinners and they were broken, but he was not so patient with the religious leaders. And their temperature is rising. The people in the room's temperature is rising. And I want you to notice this because I think it's important today. We have for far too long in the Western church tried to love people and not encourage people to call them to the real full account of the cost of what it means to be a Christian. And so instead of, as they're getting angry, instead of Jesus going, oh, I'm sorry, this is troubling you. Let me soften this up a little bit. He doesn't do that. He just says, well, you don't like this? Let me just tell you this. You're going to have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they're, just, he already, they're already stuck on a physical plane, and he's just going to increase it here in just a moment. But let me, let me just make sure we get this before we move on. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I want us to come to an agreement of that. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is Paul writing. We're going to come to, we'll come to this in a more detail in a moment. But I just want to share this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 50. And it's in the context of the resurrection. And Paul writes these words. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable something has to happen and so as long as they're relying on their good works as long as they're relying on what they what they believe dressing right praying right all of this kind of stuff they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God because they're relying on themselves they're relying on flesh as long as they looked at Jesus in a with physical eyes and not moving to a spiritual sense they would not inherit the kingdom of God. And they were in this great danger of not moving and understanding that he's speaking about something else. He's not speaking about cannibalism. They're not looking at him and going, are you kidding me? There's not enough of you to go around. You're crazy, man. So, so it's not, not that kind of thing. He's, he's speaking spiritually, but they won't make the move and connect with that. And the gospel has always confounded people and they've rejected it for a number of different reasons listen to what paul wrote first corinthians one twenty one. but we preach christ crucified which is a stumbling block to jews the jews don't like that 
and it's folly to Gentiles. But to those who know the reality of what the cross means, Paul writes, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So church, have you made the shift in your mind of of moving from a physical understanding of Jesus? There are things we need to know about that, but to move to a place of spiritually thinking about Him. Now, He turns up the temperature, turns it up. Look at 53 and 54. Let's talk about the significance of the flesh and blood of Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So in case we're not tracking, eating is a necessary act of life, and food must be taken into the body. We're on the same page there. Spiritually, if we're going to grow spiritually, then we've got to do the same thing. So what do we do? We have to eat of Jesus and drink of Jesus. He must come into our spiritual lives for us to be able to um, move forward and, and, and have eternal life. And so here's Jesus. He doesn't back off, even though they're wrestling with what he is saying. He doesn't back off at all. And so he tells them in verse 53 that he is the one who gives eternal life. He alone gives eternal life. They're not going to earn it. They can't get it anywhere else. That he is the one. So he says in 53, So he says to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now the Roman, if you grew up Catholic, you would have grown up being taught that what we did a while ago in communion, that the bread and the, and the fruit of the vine literally becomes the actual blood of, of Jesus, and it literally becomes the body of Jesus. So you are literally eating the body and the blood of Jesus. And so that's what Catholics teach. Now, um, it's called transubstantiation, and it's not biblical, and it's not what Jesus is teaching here. He's not, he's not teaching that this happens. Um, he is using symbolism here. There's another place where Jesus said he was a door. So is he literally a door? Or is he symbolizing that he's the doorway that you have to enter into? He also said, I am the vine. Was he a vine? <laughs> no, he, he, he wasn't a literal vine. So he is speaking symbolically here to say this. Watch. You must take me into your life. You have to eat of me. You must drink of me. And if you're not interested in that, then you will not have eternal life, and you will die in your sins. Now, I want to read a couple things from Hebrews. This is Hebrews 9, 11 and following. Listen to these powerful words about the flesh and the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9, 11 and following. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, 
And because it was his blood, he secures an eternal redemption. So Hebrews 9, 13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it is his blood. It is the beauty of his blood. It is the power of his blood. Later in, in Hebrews 9, he writes these words. Hebrews nine twenty five and following. Now it was to offer himself repeatedly. Now if it was, nor, nor was it for himself to offer himself repeatedly. Or as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, notice these same words, he appeared, he came down from heaven once for all, not many times, once for all, that at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So earlier, Hebrews 9, it's not, it's not the priest's blood, it's not, it's not the, the animal's blood. Here it's not the priest's it, it's, 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 it's the life of Jesus, the body of Jesus, and just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will come a second time. Listen to this, because this is important to the next thing we're looking at. He will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So today in this room, here's what we're doing. If you've come to know Christ as your Savior, we're not waiting for Him. There will be a final redemption and a completion of that, but we have been saved. We have been saved. But when He comes again the second time, it's not to, to, to deal with sin. He comes a second time to save those and to rescue those who are eagerly expecting His coming, longing for His coming. So listen to that. Listen to that phrase again. And he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What does that mean? It means that he's going to, when he comes, he's going to raise us up. He's going to raise us up. Now I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. We're going to read something there in just a moment. So Jesus says in 654, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the third time he said in John 6 that he will raise us up on the last day. So I want, I want us to read this because I think it's just really powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go to verse 42. So Paul's writing about the resurrection and what is going to come in regard to our bodies. And so in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two, just follow along with me here. So is it with the resurrection with the dead? What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. And thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not 
the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. They're born of heaven. 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Stop for a moment and think about that. So we will be raised to be like who? To be like Jesus. We will be raised to bear the image of the man of heaven. Look at 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. When you put into the ground, it just seems like if there's not any hope there, that's it. Just dust to dust. But for believers, we're put into the ground perishable. But when He comes, He's going to raise the perishable and He's going to make it imperishable. And again, we will be like Him. Look what it says, 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have the greatest hope, men and women, in this room today if you're a believer. COVID is nothing. Cancer ultimately is nothing. A heart attack ultimately is nothing. Oh, it's significant here. But for the believer, it's just a step into real life. We're ushered from a place where there's pain and tears, and we step into a place where those things don't exist anymore. And the great hope that we have in the room this morning is the significance of the flesh and blood of Jesus. He's indicating here what kind of Messiah He was going to be. He wasn't going to be a bread Messiah, a baker Messiah. He was going to be a a Messiah who came and laid his life down. And the hope would be connected. And so he says, listen, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And again, not cannibalism, but it's take me in. I must become, I must be your life because I'm the true food. Look at 55 and 56. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now this is so important as we wind things down. I want to talk about the true food and the true drink that must consume our lives. This must be it for us. 
This must be our passion. So this word true here in the Greek means real. If you want to know what real food is, you want to know what real drink is, here it is. Jesus is the real food. Jesus is the real true drink of life. Cannot find it anywhere else. So why such extreme language? Why is Jesus going on and on about eat my flesh, drink my blood? Why is he going on and on about this? The first reason I think is this, is he's wanting them to to understand what kind of Messiah he was going to be. They wanted a Messiah that was going to rescue them from Rome, and he was not going to be that. He was going to be a Messiah that was going to lay his life down. And the other thing is simply this, is all this talk about flesh and blood is, is that he was establishing that the cross would be an offense. And it would be difficult and it would be a hurdle for some people. But the Jews should have known in the sacrificial system that blood was required for the sacrifice of sin. So in their minds, though they couldn't imagine that a Messiah would be a blood-splattered Messiah like a lamb. And as they grumble and they argue over these graphic words, Jesus in 655 doesn't hold back. He just says this, My flesh that I give for the world is true, real food. And my blood that I'm going to shed on the cross is real drink that will satisfy you all the way to eternal life. The Bible's always been clear about this. The writer of Hebrews even says it. Matthew, nine, uh, this, is, this is Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So in his first coming, we read a while ago, he will give his life to save us from our sin. In his second coming, he will come to rule as king to those who are eagerly awaiting for him to come. And so look at, look at 656 again. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now this is not going to be up on the screen, but if you're taking notes, I really want you to write these things down. I was meditating quite a bit. So Friday night, I'm um, on the back porch, and I'm walking through the sermon yesterday morning. Uh, last night, again, I'm just meditating on 656 and just really, just really trying to understand, or, or really 55 and 56, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? So boys and girls, li- listen to me. What I'm about to share with you is important for you as a kindergartner. You need to know this. Students, you need to know this. Adults, who are believers, you and I need to know this. I think these are what, what, what kind of came out of my just meditating on this and asking the Lord, Lord, what are you saying here? There are three things that came out, and these aren't on the screen, but I'm just going to briefly tell them to you. When he speaks about that my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, and when he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my butt, blood, they abide in me they remain in me and i remain in them what in the world is he saying here's the first one we must come to a place regardless of our age that we understand the incredible glory of the incarnation that god came to the earth in a body 
in a body. He didn't stay away in the garden. He didn't do that. When Adam and Eve sinned, he came to the garden. He didn't leave them on their own. He came. And then 2,000 years ago, this bread of heaven, the eternal God, never had a beginning. He left heaven. He took on a body, flesh and blood, heart beating brain. It lived, ate. He came here to be near us. No the glory of the incarnation because it makes our faith different than every faith in the world. He was flesh and blood. And what it tells us this, here's an application point. So what does that mean that he came here? I think it means this. You and I ought to know the Gospels, four Gospels. Devour the Gospels. Know what Jesus did. Know what Jesus said when he was here in the flesh. And so we've got to know the glory of the incarnation. Secondly, I think we've got to get to a place, and I think it harms us when we're not there, that we don't know the depth and the significance of the cross and what it means that he was laid on an altar and nailed to it to become the sacrifice and that blood flowed from his body. We need to know the depth of that and so how do we know the depth of what that means you know what you do you read the letters of the new testament because you know what the letters of the new testament are they are the explanation of the gospels in in detail to help people and help churches understand some of their confusion in corinthian church lots of confusion churches in galatia lots of confusion helping them understand what was there here's the third thing He, therefore, must be what we feed on more than anything else. We feed on him. Notice what he says in 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, whoever understands that God came, he laid his life down on the cross, and that becomes what we eat, it becomes what drives us. That person abides in God, and God abides in that person. You know what's unique about this table here? It's just a table here. But you know what's unique about the spiritual table of eating Jesus? It goes with us wherever we go. When we're swimming, when we're golfing, when we're driving down the road, when we're in our backyard, when we're at our office, when we're sitting around the kitchen table, you know what you can do? You can eat of Christ. You can worship Christ. You can connect your life with Christ. It's, a, it's like a magical floating table that goes wherever we are. And that as we feed on him, there's a, de- there's a depth that comes because we know him. Two last real quick things. 57, he spe- Jesus speaks of the goodness of the Father that's seen in Jesus. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. And so Jesus has been making it known the manner in the wilderness wasn't true food. The food I multiplied yesterday, that was not true food, but I am the real food for your soul. And that brings us to the last point this morning is that there is a true meal that really matters. In 58 and 59, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever.
So he goes back here, was speaking about the bread and its power to give life. And so feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for eternal life, and it's also necessary for a daily thriving relationship for earthly and eternal satisfaction. And let me just say this, eat and eat often. Eat and eat often. Once a week won't work. Yesterday's bread's not enough. We need today's bread. We need daily sustenance. Do not delay things until we're starving or consistently skip spiritual meals. And I said it earlier, let me say it again. You cannot overeat with Jesus. Gorge. Eat. Mark and I, or I found it, I'm taking claim. South McKinney, there's a new Indian restaurant, and it's unbelievable. And one of the great things about food are its smells, spices, taste, sitting around the table, enjoyment of community with one another. Eat, eat, eat. Nobody's spicier than Jesus. You heard it here first. He is the essence of life. So come to him and eat. But is this enough for us? Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Come to Him. He is to be seen. He is to be eaten. He is to be drunk. And when we come to Him and we believe and we are drawn to Him, He dwells in us and He becomes our life. And so as we close today, just a few thoughts. John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. John 5, all out there in the hallway with all the boxes. John chapter 6, he feeds. He talks about, I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven. What's he saying in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6? He's saying this to us. I am the authoritative one. I'm the one of authority. My father and I, he speaks a lot about he and his father. The spirit obviously has powerful authority as well. But he speaks a lot about himself and the Father. And they are the authority on all matters. So I'm going to bring this down today. Because he's calling us to, to, in, to trust in him for salvation. He's calling us to sit at the table and to eat. And to not live like this. Because this is not living. This is not spiritual living. To live this way. But this is spiritual living with the big steak right there. Baked potato butter no chives listen so many of us forget this but let me remind you of something google does not have the final word on what's right the supreme court does not have the final authority on what is right there is not a political party that has the final word and authority on what is true Medical doctors, when they tell us news, don't have the final authority on what they tell us. Jesus does. Facebook and Instagram likes do not determine whether we have value or not. COVID-19 has zero authority before our God. 
fear is not to have the final authority in our lives. And I think that when we come to know him as the bread of life that comes down from heaven, we know the final and complete authority is him. We should get lost in him. We should eat of him. We should drink of him. And then worry goes and confidence stays. My dad was my high school principal. Yay for me. So, behind my dad's desk, they used to have these, you remember the Mickey Mouse bubblegum machines if you're older? If you're older. And you'd put a penny in there and move the thing and bubblegum would come down. And my dad kept that one when I was a kid. And he had it behind his desk and he kept M&Ms in it. So my freshman year through my senior year, I could stop by the principal's office and just walk in. Nobody else on campus wanted to do that whatsoever. And I could walk in and I could go behind the desk and I could, I don't remember what it was, but I could pull the lever and M&Ms would come out and I could do that in between every period if I had time to do so. How could I do that and not the other students? Well, I had access because I was related to the one who had the authority in that building. And I want to remind us, church, this morning that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we have access to the one who's the final authority on every single matter in this world. Every single matter. And so every day, we have an opportunity to sit and we can push back from it or we can sit And we can partake of the bread of life and feed on him. And I tell you, you don't get lost when you eat at this table. You find life and you find life incredibly abundant. So let me remind us, it is not us, it is him. It is Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory. So he says that. He says, I in him and he in me abides, feeds. This is what happens and that must be the pursuit of our lives. Let's pray.